Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. We wanted to take a moment to thank you for your continued support over the years. It's hard to believe that we've been having weekly in-depth discussions about movies since 2011. That's right, 12 years and counting. Producing this show is a labor of love for us, but it does require a lot of time and effort each week. If you enjoy our podcast and would love to help keep it going, there are some easy ways you can show your support. One is by using our Originals page to shop for the original source material that movies we've discussed were based on. That's right. In season one alone, we covered 13 films adapted from books or plays, from Charlie Kaufman's adaptation to David Fincher adaptations like Fight Club. In season two, we covered even more, like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes and The African Queen from our series about legendary cinematographer Jack Cardiff. We can't forget about the four Jason Bourne movies we talked about. Love those movies. Well, the original trilogy, at least. <laughs> for our Richard D. Zanuck series, we did Jaws, Rush, Big Fish, and more. And for our horror series, we talked about John Carpenter's The Thing, which was adapted from Who Goes There? We did our first great car chase series with movies like Bullet, The French Connection, and Drive. And for the holidays, we did Preston Sturgis's Christmas in July. We had a great John Huston series with adaptations like The Maltese Falcon and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And for our baseball series, Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Have I told you lately how much I love that movie? Uh, yeah, I think you have. Plus, our Magician series and Heist film series had adaptations as well. Tons of page-to-screen gems. Listeners can find the details and links to the original material at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, or movie you buy through our links helps support the show, and it's no extra cost to you. So dive in and get your next read today. Thenextreel.com slash originals has all the films adapted from other sources that not only we have covered, but all of the shows on the Next Real family of podcasts. Check it out and get reading. Support the show and build your reading list. It's a win-win. Head to thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
in just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. You know what happened to me? What? What happened to you? Something fell on me. What? <laughs> what, just now? The sky fell on me. Uh, oh, man. Did you see it yet? Well, Skyfall. Yes. Yes, you did see it? Well, technically, in the future. <laughs> <laughs> I did see it in the past. Tell me about it. It was great. Was it? Yeah. I it expected really I expected it. I I, I will expect it to be. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, where does it, uh, how do you rank it in the, uh, uh, you know, nearly two dozen other uh, Bond films? Gosh, you know, I have such a hard time ranking the Bond films. I, I think the only way I could effectively do that is if I sat down and watched them all back to back. Because I have such a hard time with them trying to remember which one was which. <laughs> it's like, what, who is he trying to defeat in this one? What was the point? You know, they, 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 there comes a point when they just kind of blend again, together a little bit. Yeah. I, yeah, but I think, but I think between all of Daniel Craig's films, I, I'm, I, I think I need to let it sit with me for a little bit. It's definitely up there with Casino Royale. Like these two are, I think, just really great. Um, definitely one of the top Bond films, I would say. It's just a solid story. Really interesting character development. A lot of stuff they do with it that I really like. And uh, I think the villain's pretty uh, creepy. He's a he's a creepy dude. We already knew that from No Country for Old Men. Yeah, I know. Have you have you heard about them? Have you heard about them? Have have you heard about them? How's that? You you sound like you are (laughs) (laughs) a drunk American pretending he's from Spain. (laughs) Have you heard about them? You know, that great movie with Javier Bardem starring that's in it. it. That's it. That's <laughs> what I'm supposed to do. I am I am double over excited. This is one of the things I love so much about Bond movies is they always come out right around my birthday. And you know it's birthday month. Uh, that's right. Month. I know you're you excited the big about birthday that. birthday plans coming up. It's a, the big birthday plans. Uh, and uh, this, this is a, uh, you know, gosh, I love this Daniel Craig guy. I love that he's my Bond. Uh, he is... Uh, he is my favorite Bond. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm out. I'm out. I said it. <laughs> I'm out. Daniel Craig is my favorite Bond. He is the best Bond. And Dad, I'm sorry. He's better than Sean Connery. You know whose camp you're in, though. Oh, what? You're in Roger Moore's camp. He came out and said the same thing. Yeah. You know what? I love me some Roger Moore. Moonraker <laughs> was one of my very favorites. I love some Moonraker. Are you kidding? That's right. 
And and if Roger Moore, I can, you know what? There's a worse camp to be in, Andy Nelson. <laughs> Are you telling me you don't feel this he, way? I, hey, I, I agree. I think he's fantastic. But is he the best Bond for you? I, you at it. this point, I would probably say yes. That's it. We now have, we have a platform. <laughs> the movies we like platform. You, me, and Roger Moore. The three of us against the world. No. It's not even that way. I mean, it seems like I, I wish we had found some. I, I don't know. Who is who thinks that Daniel Craig isn't a fantastic uh, top of the heat? They did a great job getting this guy. Uh, and man, does he know how to take a hit. And I guess he's signed on already for two more after this one. Yeah, because he knows. And, you know, he's I I think he is uh, what I, I think he is a wonderful. Uh, he is just a wonderful male actor to watch. Uh, and not just in the James Bond role, but you know, I mean, I I, I'm, I absolutely loved him in uh, uh, Dragon Tattoo, and um, he, you know, I think he's he he played a very different kind of character uh, in that movie, and I think he did a great job uh, with that too. So I, you know, I think he knows which side of the uh, what's the what's the thing where the bread is buttered. He knows where his bread is buttered. Which side upon which side the butter that he will eat. Has been has breaded. has been I, breaded. I, I don't know that one. <laughs> uh, so I am very excited to see this movie. So I will I will uh, see it and love it. Uh, so that's what and I you got. will. You definitely will. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't believe you dropped this on it's, me. It's I was not some, even ready some to straw talk. dogs in it. It's got some uh-huh. uh, disaster movie stuff in it. It's it's kind of got all sorts of stuff in it that really I wasn't expecting, and uh, I I quite enjoyed it. Uh, give me, uh, give me your take on Adele. However, are you? Um... Well, I, I loved it. I mean, it worked really well for the whole opening title sequence. I had no problem at all with it. The song was great. I really liked it. The title sequence was uh, on par with the uh, great uh, Bond titles of the past. Well, it was interesting. It was, it was more, more of him than I remember. It, it all felt like less. There was definitely a lot of art in it. But it also just felt like a lot of shots of, of Daniel Craig shooting at stuff, and it just it um, it it felt a little more grounded than some in the past. But then it still had some stuff where you'd like go through a bullet hole and you'd be seeing these swirling red ribbons of blood flowing through the sky, and you know, is uh, I mean, it was good. I really enjoyed it. How does okay? Uh, you know, I feel like I'm going to be asking you to give it away, and I don't, I don't necessarily want to do that. But there is a, the I remember so clearly uh, the Casino Royale parkour scene, the way that movie opens, mm. uh, blew me away. It was exactly the the way that movie needed to open. It was exactly the way we needed to meet this James Bond. It was dirty and gritty and fast and fantastic. Uh, do we have that level of kind of frenetic action or is it more sort of big budget, big explosion action? Is it, are there good fights? I guess what's up? Yeah, chasing there's and definitely good fights. Um, and the opening with this one really has, I think one of the most solid big fight sequences. It's, it's, it, it's, I, I don't know if I'd say it's on par, but it definitely has a lot of great stuff going on in it. All right. All right. That's enough. That's enough. Uh, fine, yep. you've done you've done your duty. Yeah, made me want it badly. It's you're gonna you're, you'll enjoy it. I'm gonna call you right after. All right, let me know. What else? Uh, what else do you have on uh, on tap for the week? 
Well, I started watching um, American Horror Story. Really? Yeah. I have not. Great uh, show. I'm only three episodes in, but <laughs> really interesting concept for a TV show. Really? Yep. Why? I love me, it. Give me the uh, short and skinny. Why? Why is this a good show? It's it's a horror film, basically. And the way that it was structured is the entire first season is one story. And what they are doing with the second season, which is running now, they took the same cast and they they transplanted the cast into a totally different story. It's another horror story. This first story is about a family who moves, you know, they're dealing with a lot of loss and betrayal. They move from Boston to L.A. and they move into this house that is been plagued by murders for nearly a hundred years and start dealing with all these horror elements going on in the house. Now they've taken that entire cast and they put them into a, an insane asylum. And now you have the, the same actors, but in totally different roles, all in a totally different story. And I think it's a great idea, but what they have going right now in this first story, I mean, they've got some really beautifully creepy things going on and, and amazing characters that you just don't see like Jessica Lange's character is just <laughs> she says things that come out of her mouth and it really surprises me and it's just it, you you hear things like that and it's like god that's that's the sort of role that an actor waits for it's just great stuff wow okay yeah. i you know my sister-in-law tried, uh, recommended this and i, I i'll tell you i was distracted by walking dead at the time and i think i just didn't have the uh, space to bring it into my life but uh oh. But you're saying it's worth it. Definitely. Check it out. Yep. Okay. All right. I'll check it out. Where Where are you speaking of uh, of The Walking Dead and Rick and his merry band of zombie hunters? I, I've, I finished season two. I'm, I'm waiting until season three is available on, uh, on Netflix. So you, you're, not, you're not in prison? I'm not. I've seen the prison, the last shot of yeah. season two. But yeah. yeah. That, that's uh, this is what I was afraid of, because I desperately would like to talk to you about it, and so I'm uh, waiting for that gift card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, all right. I just wanted to make sure that that's where we were. Yep. Uh, it's it, it's fantastic, and I'll tell you, people may disagree. This is uh, season three. This is the best season so far. Well, did you good. look at me? I'm taking a stand everywhere, left and right, <laughs> willy nilly. Sure are taking a stand. Uh, okay. So we should talk about this. Uh, oh, first of all, where can people find you? Uh, good, Andrew. People can find me uh, on Twitter at Soda Creek Film or on Facebook at Soda Creek Film. And they can find me at rashpixel.tv. Yes. Yes, you can. And you should go, you should go there. And, uh, we're going to be talking about, you can find me there. Uh, I'm, uh, at uh, Pete Wright on the Twitter and, and at rashpixel.tv. You can find me, uh, uh, you can also find me on the uh, Facebook, uh, our uh, movies we like Facebook page, um, which is just simply facebook.com slash movies we like. Uh, I would also say if you are so inclined, that when you get to the page, you should look at the uh, the movie we're going to talk about tonight. If you haven't seen it, it's called Drive, and it's starring Ryan Gosling. And right there on the page, right there, you can find the um, the instant video uh, link to Amazon.com or to uh, or to pick up the Blu-ray. And we invite you to do that. You should you should do that if you haven't seen the movie. This is a way you can both see the movie, love the movie like us, 
and you can uh, you can send us a few a few pennies to help us support hosting and, and the work that we do on the site and the show. So we desperately, we desperately, it's not the word I was looking for, but probably <laughs> the word that's appropriate. We definitely appreciate uh, your support. So thank you. Uh, now, let's talk about this movie. I had not seen the movie. You said you got to see the movie. I saw the movie. And I said you got had to see this movie um, like early in the year when we did our Oscar picks. I picked this as my the film that I felt was most uh, uh, neglected for Oscar love. I felt that this, this uh, was a snub. It should have uh, gotten some more uh, favor. And uh, definitely I felt it was worthy of a Best Picture nod. So I didn't believe you. I didn't believe I, I guess not. God, that's the last time I, I make that mistake. Because uh, this was this is a great film. Yeah, you, it's, it, you didn't really see it coming, did you? Totally didn't see it coming. Totally didn't see it coming. First of all, this, uh, this Ryan Gosling. This is, uh, we should say, in terms of context, Drive is the fourth and final uh, episode of this run of our great car chases film, we t- films. We acknowledge that there are many great car chases, but this one is yet another one that has a different take on uh, executing car ch- chases, and in particular on filming car chases, um, and and how the 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 cars are portrayed in in support of character. And I'm very interested in hearing your thoughts on that specific issue or, and and question. Uh, but uh, we we recognize that we're gonna we're gonna have to come back to car chases uh, down the road because there are way too many of them that we that we had a hard time selecting. Um, but this one, I think, is just done a little bit differently. So tell me what you love about the cars in Drive. I, I think what I love the most is that you really feel that you're right there with uh, Driver, as this character is called, since uh, credited, since he's never named in the film. How, how you feel, you feel so in the moment with him. Uh, for example, the first car chase that he's in in the first robbery that he uh, that he that he helps these guys execute as their driver um the whole thing is done in the car with him we see it all from basically the inside the car perspective which really makes it feel like you're on this car chase with him and it's such a, a great way to just get you into this world that he's in likewise in the later uh car chases it's it's uh well mainly the the big one after the uh, the botched pawn shop robbery, um, just the way that the cars are moving around the the, the streets and everything is just it's fascinating and it really pulls you in. And watching how he I mean, he's a character who plays a stunt driver by day and then he kind of helps these criminals at night. And, and you, the way that he maneuvers the car, you get a sense that this is a guy who knows how to drive. And when he pulls that two seventy spin like he spins the car around into reverse um because he sees this turn coming up and he knows his only way that he's going to make it around the curve is to pull this to uh do it from behind or going backward and then he does a 270 spin pulling himself out of it uh into the uh, other direction and and seeing the other car crash it's just i mean it's it's a, it's amazing it really is just amazing the way they do that i think that i, I that in particular blew me away but i you know i i started the the uh the blowing away for me started in that very first sequence and yeah. it actually wasn't about the driving 
in particular, because the driving I thought was, you know, was good. And you're right. Driver uh, ends up being a, you know, you through his behavior and his action and his his sort of aptitude behind the wheel, you get the sense of kind of who he is. And um, and, uh, you know, you hear him deliver his code, which is, you know, I'll give you five minutes on this on site. You know, you're I'm all yours for five minutes. But, you know, anything after that and I'm, I leave you behind kind of a thing. Right. Um, but but what I found really affecting is the cinematography, I think, by uh, uh, Newton Thomas Se- uh, Sigel, Seigel, Siegel, Siegel, Siegel. Uh, I found that uh, I was amazed by just how much setting uh, I was able to get uh, by the way of, of what was going on outside the car. Uh, in spite of being sort of constantly obstructed, right? Because yeah. we were in the car, there was always something obstructing our view. It was usually either the camera was right on uh, Gosling's face, and so we what we're seeing around him comes in the form of these sort of you know one eighth of a uh, of a shot or of a uh, frame, uh, you know, kind of over the shoulder lights passing. Uh, or, you know, looking out the front windshield and we've got the rear view mirror kind of obstructing our view or, you know, they have this wonderful kind of low, uh, low cross angle looking up from the passenger seat or sort of from the floor in front of the passenger seat at Gosling. So you can kind of see what's going on in the back seat as well. And the lights and helicopter lights that are kind of going over the car. And between these angles, you are given such an amazing sense of atmosphere uh, that I don't. I don't remember having experienced. I think that was the thing for me, the way they actually use the camera inside the car in such a novel way that I didn't get. Uh, and it, again, to me, it shows that evolution of the car chase from, you know, 30 years prior with Bullet to French Connection to Ronan to to Drive. I mean, there is just such a sophistication that comes from the storytelling of the camera work uh, in this film that, that just blew me away. Yeah, and, and some of that, I think, is... I mean, we've been following these car chases now from 68 through 2011 and uh, camera size has changed. It's they've been able to make them smaller, faster, um, easier to fit into tight spots, uh, lighter. There's just so much changing uh, with the nature of cameras themselves. This film was all digital. None of our other ones, they were all shot on film. And going all the way back to Bullet, that was a very slow film. It, it required a lot of light for those that footage that they shot at night. The Area Alexa with this, I mean, it just it made it that much easier for them to put the camera into those positions. Yeah, uh, boy, you can you can really you can feel it. Uh, and the so I, I t- talk more about that the Area Alexa camera. It's, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a great digital camera that, uh, you know, there's, there's a good number of very um, quality digital cameras that they have out there right now. And the Alexa is definitely one of them. It's an Airy and Airy has been making cameras for a very long time. Um, But I mean, the body of it is so small. I mean, it looks like what basically like you would have had in the 80s as like a as a VHS video camera you know it's just something that you could almost just put, throw on your shoulder obviously it's a little more high end than that it actually has lenses that you can change and everything but 
it's it's mobile. It's so much more mobile than anything else that uh, any of those other guys had had been able to use. And because of that, you could capture um, shots done in these these um, like low angles much easier. You didn't have to worry so much if when you're shooting inside the car, if uh, at night, if the footage out behind the doors was going to be completely black because it was just too dark outside. They have they can capture quite a bit of of depth in these uh, in in the in how these cameras capture the the footage and then they can go in in post and they can manipulate it and they can bring okay let's pull all that the stuff outside the window let's pull it up a little bit and they can uh, really kind of tweak the image much more easily to get specifically what they want out of it. It is uh, I believe it's it's a. Uh... It's a 4K, right? Uh, it's it's super super big, and this is the this is the answer to the red, right? The red one, um, uh, right? The yeah, I mean, the um, ProRes. It shoots at 2880 by 2160, um, as opposed to you know other uh, like the Sony Cine Alta, which is a, a straight up 1920 by 1080. I mean, it it right. shoots very very big. Uh, so as you say, you have a lot of control over the finished image, particularly when you're down resing it to HD. Um, but it's uh, I, you know, I this was the first I had uh, I had heard of this camera actually because you know all of my my circles are all red uh, for you know they're all nerds and that seems yeah. to be nerd chic. So I, I never or, or the Cine Alta. So. Um, so this was your it's it's amazing. I mean it looks like an amazing little camera. Well, and you look at the list of films that have used the uh the Area Alexa. Yeah. Um I mean it really came out in 2010 and it was all virtually all TV projects. 2011 is when it really took off. I mean Hugo, extremely loud and incredibly close, Anonymous, Game of Thrones, Melancholia, the Three Musketeers, Doctor Who, Sherlock, this film, uh, you know, it, the list goes on and on, the number of films. And then you look at, at 2012, The, the Avengers, Avengers yeah. Life of Pi, uh, Skyfall was shot with this, yeah. World War Z, yeah. um, Argo. It's, it's becoming so fluid and easy to shoot with. And uh, you can really, I mean, it's, it, these cameras are really, you know, it really is kind of showing the end of film. I yes. think. Yes. Uh, well, showing, <laughs> uh, gangster squad, Argo. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, Abraham Lincoln vampire. Oh, you had me at vampire hunter. <laughs> okay. So the film, uh, this was done on the, uh, on the Alexa. Um, and I uh, find that, really uh interesting but uh we're gonna go ahead and move on because i think there are those who may be finished nerding out on (laughs) on resolution uh so anyhow this is uh i think you you make a really good point that that so much of the evolution of the of filming these sequences is enabled by um size and flexibility of the media and uh, this this is a great example of that yeah yeah okay what else do you love about these sequences? Well, I mean, they just work well in the film. I mean, and and I think a lot of it boils down to the nature that this character is a stunt driver. And you see that the way he drives and everything just 
he always has kind of that kind of cool, calm expression on his face. He's not Gene Hackman, like cursing and swearing as he's chasing a train, right? He's not, um, you know, he almost, he doesn't even quite have like the, the, the nervous looks that you get on De Niro's face in, in Ronin. He really is just, he's calm, he's focused, and it's, it's like he's doing his job. And I find that really fascinating. You know what? Uh, I, I think one of the most, gosh, I think one of the most telling scenes in the film is, uh, you know, once you've, once you've seen how well he drives, uh, and then you see him in the grocery store. Uh, and, and he's wandering the grocery store and there's this extremely long and painful, um, uh, shot on him as he is walking aisle after aisle after aisle. And he's listening, uh, to, uh, his, you know, who we find out is his neighbor, uh, talking to her son in another aisle, but you can see that he is not, uh, doing well in the grocery store. And I find myself sort of thinking about him as his character thinking, wow, I, I think it's so appealing that he is unapologetically outstanding at only one thing in his life, and that is driving these cars. Yeah. Like, that's all he's good at. And what we see in the grocery store is such a great example because he's not even good at living. The guy can hardly feed himself. Right. Uh, Like, he doesn't know what to do in this very sort of simple um, kind of day-to-day experience of of acquiring food for the home uh, that... Uh, that that we're given this sort of um, this sort of view around the edge that that lets us fill in kind of who he is as a character and that makes him even more interesting I think yeah he's he is very much defined by what he's called in the film the driver mm-hmm. that is essentially who he is and it's it's there's there's I don't want to say there's not much more than that obviously there's a, a whole character there and a very fascinating character. But I mean, you know what I mean? It's, it's like he, uh, he is so defined by his driving that it, it, it becomes the character and it makes for a really interesting guy. I mean, he can hardly sleep at night. He's, you know, he goes home. He's not very inclined to sleep. He, he would rather just either work on car parts or get back in his car and just kind of drive around. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's, it's funny because, you know, you're, you're thinking about kind of what a guy, a guy who was good at driving might do. And there is, uh, he, he has found, I think the only two things that really satisfy his ability to drive the way he drives, because he would not be a good limo driver, right? I mean, he wouldn't be yeah. he oh, wouldn't God. be a good taxi a, driver, ride. right? Because his skill set is really very specific. It's about doing things with cars that are questionably, uh, you know, not necessarily designed to do, they're questionably designed to do those things, right? Right. Uh, and when, and what I love about this, and this is the thing where I, I think I, I had trouble, you know, researching the film because so many people, you know, were saying that the, that the you know our hero isn't a hero. There's like no substance to him. All we all we see is that is is driver. For those who who weren't crazy about Gosling's portrayal of driver, and what I like so much about driver is that we see when he is tested and when he's tested by this this person uh, who comes into his life that he has some affinity for, and he is put in a position where he has to defend the honor of this little boy and his mother. 
um, through the course of, of his actions, we see that he is really incapable of, of doing the, that stuff smoothly, right? You see that the way he's, he kind of squeezes his fists and the sort of the nuance of the way he flexes his jaw muscle. And, uh, and you see that he is just like he is struggling in the grocery store to feed himself. He's struggling because he doesn't know how to care so much about these people that he suddenly cares about. All he knows how to do is drive. Uh, but that tells us so much, and I think that's one of the things I like so much about Gosling's portrayal of this character. It tells us so much about who he is through what he is unable to do in this film. Does that make any sense at yeah, all? It, is that even a thing? Did I just say anything that was that was meaningful at all? You, no, you did. It, it, <laughs> I, I think you're right. Sorry, I was I was putting a cough drop in my mouth. <laughs> I wasn't wasn't ready for I you to finish. <laughs> uh, but. It, yeah, I mean, well, that's what makes him so interesting. And when he does get into this relationship, and it's a, it's an interesting relationship, and we, we should talk about that too, because it's it's clearly, I mean, before the elevator scene, it's clearly one where there seems to be that kind of connection, but obviously they there's a line there and they can't cross it. Right. But... um. But it's interesting watching him try to figure out like how to navigate that relationship because it's he obviously isn't somebody who's ever really been in a relationship with a woman, particularly with a a child. And but it, I find it so fascinating how he does connect with the kid in a way that almost makes more sense than the father. Well, because uh, he is in all other respects, uh, a child sort of developmentally. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right. Okay. Go on. But he's also very, very smartly. Like when the father is in the parking garage and gets beaten up and the son sees it and the father's like calling to the kid, it's okay. Come on over. You know, all that stuff. It, he, he's much more in tune with, with the responsibilities of what uh, a, a father should be doing. And, and, Taking, he goes and picks the kid up and takes him away from it, you know. And it's, it's nice to see that he is in touch with that aspect of of those responsibilities. Well, and, and you know, I think though, uh, just as his relationship with the car, it, with the cars, I, you know, I I sort of feel like his relationship with the cars is similar to his relationship with the boy. Like he knows how to work the cars because he knows he has this sort of intuitive sense of what the cars are capable of, and he knows how to relate to the boy because he is a boy, uh, uh, you know, in, in those very much, uh, in very much those similar respects and knows how he would want to be treated. Yeah. Right. And, and, uh, and maybe that's uh, some backstory that we don't know. I mean, maybe that's, uh, you know, that's sort of the, that's sort of how I was feeling as I was reading this or as I was watching this is that, that he is um, what he sees in that little boy is, is very much what he sees in himself and why he's so able to, to, uh, or, or what sort of gave him this ability to escape and not relate to other grown-ups is because he's still so much a child because of you know whatever damage happened to him. Uh, but but he is this boy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. In a very violent world, and yeah. one that he kind of kind of um, it seems to ignore. You know the all the the world of of criminals and everything. It's just, it's almost like he's got his code. He does his job. He doesn't 
pay attention to the fact that they're robbing banks or whatever it is that they're they're doing, whatever crimes they're committing, just like he doesn't really care about what's going on on set. All he wants to do is just he wants to go do his stunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it, he's a fascinating character. Absolutely fascinating. Now, what is going on around him? Uh, he, you know, we talk about the, the crime going on around him, and the crime is really sort of orchestrated by a number of key uh, key people. Brian Cranston, uh, boy, he's right. <laughs> yeah, boy, he's the he's the unlucky uh, car shop owner. Yeah, I... things uh, things don't end up playing out well uh, for him in the end. <laughs> they really don't. Oh, yeah, but he's great, and boy, I tell you, ever since Breaking Bad, Brian Cranston just seems to be everywhere, which is fantastic. I think he's he's wonderful, and I love seeing him. In everything. I mean, he was just in Argo. He's, you know, he's oh, everywhere. Yeah. No, he's, he got Morgan Freeman. <laughs> he did. You know, I mean, here he was. He was discovered. Uh, he's a, a discovered a, a terrific actor who became wildly popular at, at, in his, uh, at the start of his second half. That's right. You know, he's great. More power to him. He's great to watch. Now he is, he orchestrates kind of the getaway uh, relationship uh, for, um, for driver and uh, and also uh, you know pimps him out to the movies as far as i'm I'm reading the, or as I'm watching right he's kind of I guess you could say his agent he's his agent <laughs> right right that's a good way to put it. I, I mean it doesn't sound like his deals are necessarily very fair but it doesn't sound like driver cares all that much he's you know he got that kind of knowing grin that he gives him when he's like oh of course I get 50 percent of it Right. I don't know of any agent who gets fifty percent of their actors' uh, uh, fees, so uh, he definitely is making out. I have been meaning to talk but, to you about um, our yeah, relationship. He's, he's a fascinating character. He's orga- orchestrating the stunt work, and he's orchestrating the the crime work. And he ends up, um, I, I, I guess you could say, he's trying to find a way to get clear of maybe both of those worlds by having driver. Uh, or by getting money from Bernie, played by Albert Brooks, to get a race car so the driver can race and and through that find a way to kind of get out of this world that they're in. Yeah, yeah, and there is uh, I, that is a whole sort of thread that I really love, and uh, and so help me with it because I think I. Um, I, I I've only I haven't seen this movie uh, as much as as often as you have. So, uh, but but what I love about that that whole thread is that there is this car, uh, this race car. They're gonna trick it out. They're gonna put driver behind the wheel because he is the uh, you know the found uh, the, the the holy son of driving returned, mm-hmm. uh, reborn, and uh, they're gonna go win some big money races and they're gonna do it legitimately. And what I love about this relationship is that it brings all of the criminal centers together. Albert Brooks, it brings uh, 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 Brian Cranston and Driver together in this whole new way, in a way that legitimizes all of the crime that they have been doing in the past. Right. right? They earned all this terrible money. They now got the money from crime. They're putting it into this car and they're going to turn their lives around. And then they just can't do it. They just can't get it all the way there. Well, and it's not that it's any fault of their own, really. I mean, if, in relation to this race car, it really boils down to Nino, right? Ron Perlman's character. Right. 
Right. I, you know, and I, I would say before we talk specifically about Nino is that just that cosmically, it seems like this, that relationship to this new car, to this new opportunity is just another example of sort of how they can't fight the culture because there's always going to be a Nino. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's what I kept uh, sort of feeling like. Like for yeah, him, absolutely. there's there, always it's, a Nino. It's, you know, it's, it's like uh godfather. It's just like, yeah. just when you think you get out, they pull you back that's in. That's right. You can't get out. You're that's, it's become your mindset. It's become your life. You're always, it, anytime you try breaking free from that sort of world, you, you don't know how to live outside of it. You're always going to find your way back into it. Right. Or it will find you. And yeah, so so the whole thing, I mean, it's it's I guess you could say it's a little convenient that um, driver's neighbor, Irene, um, her husband, who just is released from prison, Standard, um, happens to owe a lot of money to Nino's people and um, is is uh, set up on this uh, mission to rob a pawn shop in order to steal all this money. But of course, Nino has it all set up where they're going to kill this guy because he wants to steal the money because it's really from the organization back east. And it's it's kind of a complicated, you know, plot element there. But it's, it's you know, layers of these criminals doing different uh, acts of crime that all somehow end up getting tied together because uh, on the off chance that standard his neighbor is driver who drives cars and he says that he'll drive for him and just because of that instant of kindness because he's kind of fallen for irene he ends up tied into this whole thing and while he's on the good side of bernie and the race car all of a sudden now because of uh everything that that goes wrong he's on the bad side of nino and by default he's now also on the bad side of bernie and ends up having, and that is that sort of next level of of sort of testing his character, this character that is sort of emerging out of the elements that are being thrown at him, uh, and then it gets violent. It gets, it gets really violent, and it gets really my, violent fast. This is a film my my wife watched with me, and she really loved it, but she had a really hard time watching any of those scenes because every time there's a violent act on screen it is 10 times what you would expect it to be yeah and and you know i i'm so uh, the the one obviously that that really stands out to me is is not even the elevator scene it's the it's the shotgun scene uh after the the initial um uh shoot when standard is shot he's coming out of the out of the um uh, pawn, shop. pawn shop right and he's you know we think that things have gone okay there is some nice pacing and some nice crazy tension that is built up but the but his uh you know the the uh, assistant woman with the bag has come out and she throws the bag in the back of the car and she, now they wait and they do this slow pull on their eyes over the dashboard as and then they cut back and forth between the dashboard and, the, and, the and the you doors. hear the clock his his watch ticking away right. you hear the watch clip ticking away and you think okay well now the guy's going to come out and there will probably be some you know some gunshots and but you know and then the chase will happen well it turns out he standard comes out of the pawn shop and he's shot in the neck and then a lot more uh, and he falls, and then there's another car. Turns out there was another car there to hold them up, and there's a chase scene. 
one of the one of the weirdest chase scenes because it's I mean it's it's a it's a modest chase scene uh, with one of the coolest uh, endings right yeah, it, it's right. that it's that 270 and what i love even more than just the fact that he executes this 270 to go around this hairpin turn is the way they film the crash of the whatever it was buick thing behind him right uh with with him in the frame looking through the the uh, you know him in focus looking at what's going on behind him uh, right in the rearview mirror. Rear mirror and you see uh Christina Hendricks played Blanche yeah. in the backseat just watching this car accident behind them behind them and they never they never go back to establish what was going what was happening and that's the end of the sequence that's the end of the chase it's like you see the car i think it even ends check me on it but it i think it ends with the other car like in the air i gosh i can't remember but you, you could be right it is uh, an amazingly well uh surprisingly well uh architected sequence and i really enjoyed watching that but then the vi back to this whole thing of violence the surprising and uh, uh, uh the surprising violence that comes as christina Hendricks and, and gosling are holed up in this hotel room to try and and find some center on what went wrong uh, with the heist and they are tracked down by the thugs the thugs find them with a shotgun the thugs yeah. with a shotgun find them and then they use the shotgun on poor Christina's, uh, really mostly the side of her head. Yeah. And boy, do they get all of that. Yes, they do. Did that, I mean, did that not, was that a little, uh, you know, given the context of the film, was that overboard for you? It wasn't. It, it You know, it's, it's a story. I have a hard time. I mean, you really got to, I, I, I don't know. I mean, in a crime film, we're dealing with, I mean, yes, there's car chase and all that stuff, but I don't know. It's the world of crime, and I, I don't think it's necessarily out of place. And I don't want to say it's not out of place just because it's a crime film, but to a certain extent, I guess that is what I'm saying, because the nature of crime tends to fall to violence. And I I, I think it speaks uh, true of kind of the nature of that world. I, I think that's in, in many ways what I like actually so much about it, and and I I think I'm usually the one on the more conservative end, which uh, of of between the two of us in terms of of the use of violence, particularly violence and you know towards children, but in this movie it didn't. I I found I really uh, I thought it was great. It was a uh, it, it was a great and jarring execution, uh, and uh, I thought that it really. Uh, it, it, we sort of needed it to push the driver to that next stage of anxiety, right? Because well, he is... yeah, and and also like up to this point, the film has had kind of this dream quality to it. Like even right. the music has that kind of like techno dream, right? Feel going on. Everything is kind of it's almost like driver is like half asleep through the film. Like he he kind of has this this look and this expression like. He's driving, but it's he's it's almost like he's on autopilot for that and, first part. And this is that moment that really does kind of snap him out and bring him into, I guess you could say, the real world and, and really having to start making some hard decisions. Yes. Yes. I, I think that's uh that that's exactly it. It is like, it like is, crushing someone's skull with his foot. <laughs> that and, and then we have that, uh, which yeah. I thought was like a ballet. Right. It's, it was a ballet of violence. 
in the elevator. Uh, I think what was so great about that was the uh, the uh, again to talk about this sort of uh, uh, the the open space versus compression. You know, when you have them having this, in the, they're sort of in the hallway and they're having this conversation that is uh, sort of coming to terms with their relationship, and and then the elevator door opens and the hitman's in there. Oh, right. Oh, sorry, wrong floor. So they all three get in the elevator now, and and all at once after this wonderful, again, talk about dreamlike. I, I mean, that whole elevator sequence is sort of a a mini montage of the entire film, um, where he's kissing her and then turns around and and proceeds to boot execute. <laughs> boot execute. He boot executes the uh, hitman. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. It shows sort of how quickly he's able to find his uh, find his sea legs in this hyper violent kind of a kind of a world. Well, and it it really makes you wonder like uh, how deep that is in Driver, or if it's always just kind of been subtly floating under there. It's just he is. I mean, he never really is in a position to be violent because it comes so easily to him, and it doesn't it doesn't affect him at all. It's, it's kind of disturbing how, how he takes it. You know, it's almost like working in film as a stunt driver has kind of made him think that it's almost like everything is just stunts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. It's just, uh, yeah, kind of interesting and, and, uh, gruesome. uh, That is the truth. Uh, the, uh, let's see. Gosh, the movie did well. Is well, there anything well, else? Hold on. So let's talk more. Since, about since we've been we talking about, about violence, yeah, I'd like to talk about Albert Brooks for a little bit. Yeah, we got to talk about the way he uh... because Albert Brooks is is one of those amazing actors who has done some amazing, amazing films. Usually, much funnier, or, or, or I, this one actually is pretty funny. It's but I don't recall ever having a character this dark. I mean, maybe he gets close to it in out of sight but that one is definitely not a violent a violent character and i don't know i think he's even said this is his first film where he's actually ever killed anybody yeah and kills a lot of or several people and in really different ways yeah the first one in the uh in the restaurant is particularly painful to watch and gruesome because it's just so uh, it's utilitarian it's just sudden and awful. He uh, he stabs. Uh, what's his name? Uh, well, the the, the the assistant, the bald, the assistant uh, mafia hitman. Uh, mafia hitman assistant uh, stabs him in the eye with a fork, and then uh, proceeds to uh, give him a, a rather extensive tracheotomy with a steak knife. Yeah, uh, and it's really gruesome. But also, you know, I I say utilitarian for a reason i mean it really is you know we he he is a guy who has suddenly i mean really suddenly discovered that he has a checklist and yeah he now has to he's he is now a guy who's going to finish his checklist and it starts right. with removing this assistant hitman uh and then moving on to the to the next uh to the next person on the list right He's got to clean up the mess. He's cleaning up the mess. And the only and so then he moves it I I think the the one that I found really stunning was the Brian Cranston assassination uh, yeah. which he did it's, with It's horribly 
tragic. Yeah, it, it is tragic because you can see the reluctance kind of in, in the relationship that, that he doesn't want to do it and that he really, you know, that where we were talking about sort of the end of the thread of that race car where you actually get Albert Brooks kind of coming to terms with, you know, I was excited about this. Yeah, I was I was going to be here, too. Uh, and, uh, it, it didn't play out that way. He realized he, you know, he was having his Godfather three moment and, uh, and that he was now taking ownership of it. And so the, the assassination itself, he, uh, you know, he's, he actually bleeds Brian Cranston out. And it's, it's done in, like you had said how reluctant he was, but it's amazing how fast it's, it's well fast, but it's also how he, it's almost like through the whole thing, he still is maintaining their friendship and it's just it's just a work related thing that he has to do but he's he does it in like from his perspective like the most humane way he's like it's done it's done he's just so gentle about it it's it's horrifyingly creepy yes horrifyingly creepy and and then i I think it is made even more creepy when he returns back to his i guess his apartment his house wherever and he puts the blade back in a uh, the beautiful blade box <laughs> his box of his box weapons. of blades where you you that sort of uh gives you a little bit of punctuation on that sequence where you actually realize that what was going on on screen is um is really much more uh central to his character and how he got to where he is uh than we were led to believe i think yeah right exactly like cuz they said that he he says you know he had produced movies in his past, but you right. get a sense that that came after probably a lot of time in in the in the in the mafia type of world, the gang or mafia world. He kind of ended up producing some movies, kind of like you know uh, John Travolta and Get Shorty, right. but was very easily moved back out of that into more of this violent world that he's from. Right now, uh, he was nominated for a bunch of awards all over the place for this movie. Except for an Oscar. What do you think about that? You know, he was one of my uh, my two snubs. Him and um, uh, Patton Oswalt from Young Adult, I felt, were two really great supporting actor characters, or supporting actor roles that really probably deserved uh, Oscar nominations. I, I really felt that... Um, Albert Brooks was haunting and and uh, just creepy and very different in this film. And I, I felt that he would have uh, been a perfect candidate for a supporting actor nomination. I was kind of surprised that he didn't get it. Yeah, in hindsight, boy, I am too. Uh, this was uh, this was a a terrific film for him. And and this is coming from a guy who really loved Albert Brooks in <laughs> Defending Your Life. It's one yeah. of my all-time favorite uh, uh, Albert Brooks films. Which one? Defending Your Life. Oh, right, right, right. Totally different Albert Brooks. I love that movie. I need to see that one again. Meryl Streep, Albert Brooks, come on. The yeah. two where he's chasing the bus at the end. Ah, forget it. <laughs> So, uh, okay. Love this movie. Great movie. Uh, Albert Brooks did a great job. Ryan Gosling. I, I want to say about Ryan Gosling again. I, I have not seen a lot of Ryan Gosling films. And uh, until this film, my impression of Ryan Gosling was um, the Mickey Mouse Club. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, I, oh, I, that's so funny. the reason I think largely the reason I, there are two reasons I did not see this film uh, when it came out. Uh, the first is Ryan Gosling was in it. And the second is that weird 1980s font. Uh, oh, really? The pink font. The the, the and, kind of uh, the cursive font for, yes, the, for the poster? Yes, the script poster font, the credit font. It, it it felt like I was watching kind of the beginning of like Less Than Zero or something. And and I uh, and so I thought, well, it's, it's going to be a, it's a period piece. <laughs> this is the same well, Which is interesting because they really did, uh, Nicholas Winding Refn, the director, really was going for that 80s vibe with this film. He really wanted it to have a whole atmosphere of that, not necessarily placing it in the 80s itself. He still kept it present day, but he just liked that vibe. Yeah, and and you know, uh, to me, like the 80s is the new 70s, right? I mean, there's nothing really to be proud of. I mean, we are children of the 80s. I don't know if you know this. Uh, 80s are kind of annoying now. Yeah, well, they, right. they have their their magic, I guess, but yeah, <laughs> mostly not. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, I, I have popped a collar with the best of them, and those days are gone. That's all yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> uh, but I want to say that I, for this movie, as we kind of get toward the wrapping up part, this movie, I, I find, brings out the same sort of challenge, of sort of intellectual uh, challenge to me as a, as a, as I'm watching this movie, as a viewer of this movie, that I got when I watched Brick, that that I felt like there, this is an example of a filmmaker and a cast that have come together to do something, deliver a story in a in a really unique way, and to take all of the obvious things, take this most obvious title, and uh, make this movie about cars, not so much about racing cars, and not so much a Fast and the Furious kind of in the age of Fast and the Furious to do a a driving movie with some dignity and some real story to it. And I I was incredibly moved what, uh, by this film, and I'm so glad you uh, you brought it back around because it was absolutely worth watching. And I think Ryan Gosling he has uh, he has uh, redeemed himself. Uh, he is he's not the child actor and i want to go back and see some of his other stuff because you, uh, you absolutely need to yeah. i mean you definitely need to see uh did you see um crazy stupid love no no i know i know you, whatever did you say. see the ides of march no nope. did nope. you see blue blue valentine no i know do you even want to do the show with me I, anymore i know lars this... and the real girl no no, stop. Oh You're goodness. just embarrassing me now. This we're is gonna, we're going to do a Ryan Gosling series <laughs> on this show. <laughs> oh, and the promises they keep on coming. We'll we'll we'll, you know, well we're, we're going to have to. He's I, he's a great actor. He's he is a great actor. I've been uh I have been properly schooled. I really enjoyed watching him in this movie and I I uh I gosh, you know, he's a Coen Brothers actor to me. No. He could be. Yeah, he I could, could see that. I, can you totally see that? I can totally see him in a Coen Brothers film. Uh, I so anyway, uh, your closing remarks on this. Well, we 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 mentioned Ron Perlman, but we never really got back to him as an actor. Uh, you know, I, I Ron Perlman's just one of those guys. He's he's such a a quirky looking guy that uh, it's it's amazing that. Um, the parts that he gets, but he's so good. I just find him so fascinating and I love watching him. And I think it's uh it was a great role for him playing this kind of a uh, Jewish 
Jewish gangster who wants to be a, a kind of a, a New York gangster. And is it was it was really kind of funny, and I I really loved him in this film, and I loved, even though he's Ron Perlman, he still had kind of a different feel, and I I really enjoyed him in this. I I did too, and uh, you know, I it's hard not to enjoy Ron Perlman, even in his uh, his hit run in Alien Resurrection. <laughs> That's right. But I'll I'll always oh, to me to yeah. me he'll always be Beast in Beauty and the Beast the series. That's right. Uh, that was great. I love that. Ah, oh, Perlman. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a great film. Um, oh, we didn't talk numbers at all, did we? No, we haven't talked numbers yet. So this movie, uh, this is I one that, that actually cost did... fifteen million to make uh, thirty-eight million total budget. So it actually gave it quite a bit of money for the uh, the prints and advertising, quite a bit. And it and did then, fairly well uh, domestically. It made about thirty-five million. Um, internationally about 31 million. So worldwide, I see about 66 million. So that's not a bad performance for what is uh, ultimately a sort of a small film. It really was. I mean, 15 million to make it, it is a very, I mean, I hesitate saying independent um, because independent films are generally not quite that well-funded. But it really is a small film. I mean, look at where we were with Ronan, $55 million for that film. Right. This is down to 15 Right. And, and they pulled off a lot in this movie. I, this, is a, um, this was fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, I also, you know, we have not mentioned the fact that this is another one that's based on a book, uh, the book Drive by James Salas. And uh, I have decided on a, uh, that we need another list. Can you guess what the list is going to be, Andrew? The, the uh, books from which movies that we like have been adapted from? <laughs> yes. Yes, sir. That would be a great list because I realize that I go through and I go download the books that, and I'm, I'm losing track. I need a list. That's right. We'll have to throw another list on there. There's another list. It's coming. And it's, it's a very well-adapted screenplay by Hossein Amini who's, who's uh, written some great scripts. And uh, I think he just, I haven't read the book, but just the book, the movie has such a great vibe that I, I think he wrote a very good script. Well, and we should talk about uh, Hossein Amini just uh, uh, briefly. Um, the, the only uh, other films that I, I have seen of his, obviously Snow White and the Huntsman, uh, yes. which was, I, again, terrific. I, I enjoy that. I it, it's one that's aged really well for me. Uh, but uh, the other was uh, the Wings of the Dove. Yeah, Wings of the Dove and Jude, like back in the yeah. mid '90s, are two kind of adaptations that he wrote. And the Four Feathers, um, you know, that uh, came out at the in 2002. Uh, some interesting adaptations that he wrote. That um, I think some worked better than others, but he clearly. Um, knows how to write a good script, and he's actually tying it in a little bit to our series. Uh, even more, he's writing the forty-seven Ronin movie that's coming out next year with Keanu Reeves. Right, right, right. Um, what do we? What do you know about that one? All I know is it's Keanu Reeves and forty-seven Ronin, uh, but it's it's here, right? Uh, let's well, it was see. originally. It looks like it was. Kai played by Keanu Reeves, joins a group of samurai led by Kuranosuke Oishi, who seeks vengeance on Lord Kira, who kills, killed their master and banished the group. The samurai embark on a journey whose challenges would defeat most warriors. 
it's Keanu Reeves and a whole bunch of Japanese people. Yeah, it's going to feel like um, that Tom Cruise the last one, Samurai. The last Samurai. Uh, it is. It was originally scheduled to be released on the 21st of 2012, postponed a whole year plus to December 25th, 2013. Yeah. Big one, $170 million projected budget. Yeah, yeah. Big so, yeah, Jose Namini, there you go. Well done. Okay. Uh, and then the last one, he is, he is the first film that he's directing. Uh, it looks like Two Faces of January, uh, the first uh, modest film that he's directing. Written, writing and directing. Very much looking forward to that. Another adaptation uh, by, of a film of a novel by the same name. Yeah, Vigo, from, by Vigo, Patricia Highsmith. Vigo Mortensen and Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, it'll be an interesting one. Looking forward to that. Um, uh, so I think, you know, uh, close close it up. What else do you have? Uh, because this is, um, I, I, again, thank you for making this happen. This is no, I, it, it's great. I, you know, it's a, a, uh, a fascinating film that really paces itself well. It has this beautiful feel all the way through. The production design is gorgeous the the um the stunts are great the the costume i mean his jacket i want my own <laughs> scorpion jacket <laughs> just everything about it works really well the violence is really violent it's just it you know it's it's one of those really interesting films that just really sticks with you uh it obviously did well uh, nicholas um won the um he walked home with the best director prize at con and I mean, the film got a standing ovation at, at Cannes. It's it's a, a fantastic film that is just beautiful and unlike a lot of other uh, car chase movies on our list. Really, it it really is. It is a it is a very different film. Uh, certainly different from what I I was expecting. Um, it uh, it wraps up as we said. It wraps up our our car chase film uh, series and. We are kicking into a whole new thing. That's right. Uh, we're going to do three of our favorite Luc Besson films. That's right. This one's a, a series that you wanted to do, and I think it's going to be a, a fun one. It'll be three interesting films to look at again. <laughs> I love the way you say that. I love the way you say that. was great. No. Okay, really. No, this is a, this is a thing you wanted to do. So, subtextually speaking... It's not my fault. That's what I just heard. That's <laughs> no. Bring I, your he's bring got it out. Some great stuff. You just said bring your A game, Pete, because I will bring nothing. <laughs> oh man! Oh come on! These are we've got we've got three movies that I'm very much looking forward to talk about uh, talking about. Um, and uh, so we're gonna. I I don't know. We're uh, are we gonna say it? Or no, just no. For a surprise, there's gonna be a. Surprise. It'll be a surprise. All right, all right. So that, that's it. I got nothing else. Oh, and happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's that. There's a little detail. <laughs> <laughs> happy Thanksgiving to you and yours, Andrew. Yes, yes. Do we need, is there any sort of a Thanksgiving theme song we need to sing or play out? Um, how's that Adam Sandler Thanksgiving song go? I don't know. <laughs> That's the only thing I like of Adam Sandler. <laughs> I don't know, and, and my voice is horrible right now, so we're not gonna we're not gonna try. Thanksgiving. <laughs> Good night, Andy.
I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. Today.